0: The football pod with Paddy and Andy. You basically lost two All Ireland down one season. It's only nine months since we lost the last one. Only Mayo could lose two All Ireland. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be cool, isn't it? Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GEA podcast feed now. And you're very welcome along to The Snap, your American football show here on Off the Ball. I'm Ronan Mullen with you this week and every week as we look back on the week that was across the world of American football. We are brought to you as ever in association with the Lingus College Football Classic, Northwestern versus Nebraska at the Aviva Stadium. That's Saturday, August 27th, 2022. Check out collegefootballireland.com for full details. Their brand new website is, is live now. So without further ado, bring in my partner in crime, Keen Fahi. We gave Keen, we gave this season the big sell this time last week. We thought it was gonna be Plenty of appetising fare on offer. Did it live up to the hype? Were you thoroughly enthused by the whole thing? It was
1: an interesting week one. I thought. Like, um, I, I don't. Did you did you read on it, or did you watch specific games on Sunday?
0: I watched the, the Sky offering. I obviously started with the Thursday night football, which, in terms of you know setting the table for the weekend ahead, I thought couldn't have done any better. One of the all time great season openers. Absolutely. So then. Um, yeah, the, the the Sunday games were pretty good. But, like The Bills were quite underwhelming. In fairness to you, you you flagged that last week that maybe there might be a, a hint of regression in them. We, we'll we get into that in more detail. But the, in broad terms, did anything grab you in particular?
1: I think I'm I'm uh, struggling to sell our week one as being great because I watched the Texans and the Jaguars. But I feel like that's my own fault for watching the Texans and the Jaguars. I can't really complain too much about that. Uh, no, I think overall there were a couple of really good games. I think the, the problem for us over here is the two best games are probably the ones in the middle of the night on Thursday night and Monday night and they got phenomenal results and got loads of drama and some incredible plays from everyone. I I suppose the best thing we've had so far is we've had a handful of quarterbacks go from being really good and promising to having week ones where they all look like they can be MVPs.
0: And speaking of good and promising, someone who's put his form on the books for 20 years at this point is is Tom Brady. We we don't feature the Bucks in the Pick 6 this week which is a a welcome change but They started the season pretty impressively uh, against the Cowboys. Did anything you see in that game dissuade you from the notion that they'll be challenging for the Super Bowl at the end of the season?
1: I don't know if you have thoughts on that offensive pass interference at the end of the game, but they really snuck out of there as far as I'm concerned. Yeah,
0: it was definitely a push-off, wasn't it?
1: Definitely, 100% to push-off, but I suppose that's kind of what you get with Brady. Uh, it didn't feel like they were great. It felt like they should have beaten the Cowboys more, much more than they should have, but they also kind of showed you why they're as good as they are and why they will be a contender at the end of the year because the defense was swarming again. You had a couple of rookies play who stood out well and the offense was good enough. Like, Ronald Jones, uh, Bruce Arians says he's going to start next week, but he had that fumble and normally that means he has a fumble. He disappears for a few weeks. Maybe they're changing the way they're approaching that with Ronald Jones and maybe that will actually help the offense because he's a really dynamic explosive player so Buccaneers are right on track where they need to be they got that first win and they'll move forward uh, from here I imagine Brady might get worse as the season goes on because of his age that's kind of been the tendency but maybe they'll be able to look after him a little bit more because of the great defense and because of the running game it's still astonishing how well he played last week for a fellow who's at the age that he's at. I know we harp on about it all the time we don't really need to anymore to be honest
0: yeah, and uh, Antonio Brown. can you call it a feel-good story after the trajectory he's been on, on and off the field, but like he's fairly, anyone who thought he was, you know, done has kind of put those... Um, a
1: comeback story, we'll call it.
0: Yeah, like there's a few redemptive arcs we might have to touch on in this pick six. Keen, um, I know uh, James Winston's chief among them, so let's go to the pick six. Yeah, there was much fanfare there over the last week or so. I don't know if you tuned in for the Manning on Manning broadcast, which, you know, has its own sort of weird dynamic where ESPN are putting up rival programming against their own broadcast booth. It'd be like, I don't know, JP and Catherine out there doing a rival show at the exact same time as we're doing now. But here we are, this is what they did. But the other premier, uh, you know, American football segment on the airways at the moment is the pick six. So let's let's get straight into it here. Wild Wild West Keane is number one. And uh, this actually counts for both uh, AFC and NFC. We want to start with the AFC, chief among them, the Chiefs, who, um, like people will remember, duked it out with the Browns in the postseason last year, and the Browns almost got over the line, and they almost got over the line again here. We're going to talk about the Browns a little bit later, but in terms of the Chiefs, we mentioned Tampa Bay's credentials for a title run. What did you make of the other co-favorites?
1: Cool um, it was so weird. I kind of wrote, looking back on it at the weekend, that it felt like it was a playoff game, but not because it was like tense or dramatic. Normally, that's what you say. It feels like a playoff game when it's a tense, dramatic game. But it was, felt like a playoff game just because the Chiefs lullabyed through it were asleep for the first half, and then they just decided to win it at the end. And Mahomes did just enough. And the blocked punt kind of accelerated the whole process, but it felt like they were going to win anyway. I, I'm not 100%, Like I guess I'm I'm sold, and I've been sold on Mahomes and that offensive line being rebuilt, and that'll take a little bit time, to, of time to gel. But I'm kind of looking at them and realizing, They've got Kelsey, they've got Hill, great players, they've got Mahomes, they've got their running game with Edwards-Alaire. But that depth isn't really there anymore. Like, Who's the second tight end there? Who's the third and fourth receiver there? It doesn't feel like the quality is what it was before after Sammy Watkins left. And Nicole Hardman hasn't really hasn't really tried or excelled to become the star they wanted him to be. So they're still the best team in football, but it did feel like week one was they need to snap out of it. Well so we said that last year and then they kind of battered the Ravens and then kicked on from there, so maybe that'll happen again this week?
0: Yeah, another parallel there. Speaking of the Ravens and the Chiefs, listen, I mentioned at the top of the show about Tampa Bay, we're going to be talking about them all season, so we don't need to dwell on the Chiefs, they're going to be there, thereabouts, one way or another, but the Raiders, you know, uh, bless my heart, you know, they kind of, uh, when Justin Tucker kicked that field goal, I thought, this is it, you know, I'm actually going to get to sleep at this point, and then, like, so ensued another 40 minutes of, of high drama. I don't know what you made of that game, Keane, or if you watched it live, but. Uh,
1: all I was wondering was if you were awake for that heartbreak in the middle of the night
0: good grief like in fairness you know (laughs) like it's still at the end of the day only one team can win the Super Bowl this is quite twee but like at the end of the day only one team can win the Super Bowl so you want to enjoy watching your team and one thing you have to say about the Lamar Jackson era Ravens is there's rarely been a week where it's kind of been dull there's always something to get excited about unfortunately he was chief among the excitement this time for all the wrong reasons with his uh, lack of ball security but in fairness to the Raiders who looked like they were Derek Carr, I'm a little bit of a fan of, you know, his decision-making in the early part of the game left a lot to be desired He was his chief target was the one he kept going to all over and over again and the Ravens clocked out pretty early and Once he started spreading the ball around he actually gave them a bit of trouble But you know, it's well documented at this stage the trouble the Ravens have had injury-wise on both sides of the ball But we should we should focus on the Raiders. This is the this is the West section and this is a fairly stacked division now, Keane, all of a sudden. We know what the, the NFC is, but the AFC West is uh, is looking good and the, the Raiders are going to be somewhere in the mix.
1: Yeah, I think Carr is quite limited. Like You saw the way he started that game. He was so inconsistent. And then Martindale, the defensive coordinator for the Ravens, kind of helped him out just by being so aggressive It gave the opportunities to take those shots downfield. Um, but talent-wise, that roster is kind of stacked. Like the pass rush looks like it's better now. Cleveland Farrell was inactive for the game, who was their big pass rush uh, our draftee a couple of years ago. And literally everyone, when he was drafted, went, him? He can't rush the pass. Or why are you drafting him third overall or fourth overall, whatever it was? And it's gone exactly as expected. But they've got Max Crosby there, and they've added a couple of other pieces who really uh, upgraded that pass rush. And then offensively, like Josh Jacobs was questionable to play in the game. And then when he played, he played quite well. And Darren Waller is uncoverable with the rest of the wide receivers there as well. Henry Ruggs, uh, Zay Jones is inconsistent, obviously, or has been inconsistent over the course of his career. But Brian Edwards uh, has kind of emerged in that game as well. So you've got a lot of talent there and a lot of ability there. I'm just so skeptical of Carr because we've seen so much of him. And it feels like what Matthew Stafford is, where he has one big game or has one good game. And then everyone talks about how good he is. And then the next week, no one's really paying attention and he has an absolute stinker. And that's what's been the inconsistency of his whole career. So they're an interesting team in the sense that they have the talent to be one of the best teams in the league, but you just can't trust them. And the Gruden there as well, I know we kind of laugh at Gruden and make Gruden a bit of a joke, but he has been a good coach in the past, so maybe you can buy into him a little bit, but I don't really think this, uh, is a second stint? I guess it's third kind of stint, really. Or his return since leaving the broadcast booth has gone as expected. I don't think they, they get everything they want out of that team.
0: Yeah, like when Cleland Farrell came in as that, you know, oversold pick, I think Mike Mayock was talking about character, and it just shows you how oversold character can be when, you know, if you haven't got the talent to excel, you can't be expected to just make that jump and you know, healthy scratch at the weekend. It's an interesting one and similarly as you mentioned on Derek Carr, you're not the only one unconvinced. I think Gruden, if he had the chance, would have moved on from, on, from him by now but hasn't had the chance just yet. The Broncos obviously had a, a, an impressive win and we mentioned last week that they're in a holding pattern, probably waiting for Aaron Rodgers next season but they, they got off to a good start. But Justin Herbert, I just want to get your thoughts on quickly. I know you were enamoured by his display at the weekend.
1: Yeah, I think Kyler Murray, because of the stats he put up and the way that game went and because of the, the hype that's around him right now, he's going to be like the MVP favorite. But if you actually go back and look at those games, it, Justin Herbert had the best game of the weekend. Like He is this superstar in the background who... Is, has had a great rookie season and then played week one against the unbelievable Washington defense with guys like Chase Young hanging off of him all the time and the pass rush forcing him to release the ball earlier than he wanted to, while the coverage on the back end was closing these tiny windows. Like Keenan Allen made some exceptional catches, but the throws to cut the ball in that position was phenomenal too. And he had a couple of plays where like they, were, they would have been the best plays of the week, but the passes were dropped by his other receivers. And it, the, the, Washington played a perfect game on defense and they forced Herbert to play at a level that few quarterbacks can just to win the game. So it doesn't come across as this spectacularly statistic, brilliant game or this game where they scored 40 points, but it was a game grounded out and had to force that win. And Herbert just showed his, well not maturity, because he's only in his second year, but he showed that quality and that poise and that awareness of how to beat a defense when the defense is on top. Like again though, are we going to buy into the Chargers? I don't know. I've bought into the Chargers too many times before. I don't know if you're getting comfortable doing it. That might be my transition to the next uh, pick six.
0: Yeah, number, number two in the pick six, we're going to Westworld, and we're, we're staying in the West, this time in the NFC. And it's interesting you mentioned Los Angeles. like the, the city seemed to be bouncing from a football perspective. We mentioned on last season's edition of The Snap that if you're looking for value for money in terms of a season ticket, I can't think of a better one than getting a ticket for that brilliant new stadium in Los Angeles where you get to see, you know, Herbert and Stafford in, in alternate weeks, it's going to be quite quite something. Just quickly on Stafford, you know, I, th- I saw Peter King had a good analogy of um, sort of Sean McVeigh and how he's dealt with Golf in the past, where if you think about those encyclopedias that you used to see in, in old people's houses where they had all the different uh, letters and you had different sort of uh, catalogs and that kind of thing, and with Sean McVeigh and Jared Goff, he could only use one or two of those, whereas with the uh, Stafford it kind of opens up the whole, the whole spectrum where there's very little that uh, Stafford can't do uh, with the ball in his hands. So uh, it bodes well, like you've got an exciting coach there and a, and a player who can execute what his vision almost. So I think maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself as we mentioned with the Chargers. Are the Rams all that? Were you impressed with them at the weekend?
1: Ronan, I'm barely old enough to know what encyclopedias are. Did you have to Google what that was when you got that reference?
0: No, but I just remember seeing them in my. Uh, I, I I don't know if any of my relatives have listened to this show, but my elder relatives, um, do you know, like I, I remember seeing those on the bookshelves. At, like Wikipedia was always my go-to, so I, I can't say I ever relied on the old, the old-fashioned ones. But back to the, back to the point of hand, King. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, the the Rams. The Rams the- I, I get the analogy, I understand the analogy, and that's always been the allure of Matthew Stafford, but the selling point of Matthew Stafford in this transition to the Rams is, oh, he's got a supporting cast he's never had before, as if he didn't have Calvin Johnson for seven years, as if he didn't have a, a plethora of other weapons over the years. He's had very good receivers. Like, guys like Kenny, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones just last year have left Detroit, and they were highly sought-after uh, sought players in free agency because of how good they are. So, I understand the analogy. Yeah, he's got more books on the shelf, you've got more options, you can do all this, you can do all that. But every time you open one of those books, it's not always going to be what you expect it to be. And that's the problem. The problem with Stafford is, he will make the incredibly, incredible, difficult play that no one else can make, but then on the very next play, he'll throw the ball to the defender, and then he'll, throw, then he'll fall over himself and take a sack, or he'll misread the coverage completely to not see a wide open receiver, or he'll set his protection wrong, so he, t- he, he actually sells out his lineman. He's been so incredibly inconsistent over the length of his career, and because he's got this massive arm, because he comes from uh, Georgia with the draft stock, because he's a pretty good athlete outside of just his arm strength as well, he's always been sold as this superstar a guy who's promising player who's held back by his franchise. And I just don't think that's ever been the case because he's never been consistently good. The other side of it is, though, Sean McVay brings quarterbacks to a base level. Him and Kyle Shanahan are very similar, where he they'll get the most out of what you give them, and anything ex, extra after that is down to how good the quarterback is. So that's kind of what the way Peter King is looking at that, I would think. So maybe it's possible... I, I think the... What you can go back to is when the rams made the super bowl against uh, the patriots Goff couldn't really do anything and did very little in those games so if you got those same level of performances from everyone else and then stafford was on a hot streak and he played well a bit like Flacco did with the ravens years and years ago then you can buy into this as oh wow they could actually do something here but i just don't i i'm so tired it's been 10 years of <laughs> selling matthew stafford as something that he's not i can't do it anymore
0: yeah i think almost the uh... The knock against the Lions was the mismanagement behind the scenes and, and the reason the likes of Calvin Johnson retired prematurely, Like I think that kind of speaks volumes of the culture in that place and, and what it would like to play for them so maybe it's more that side of things that people are, are glad he's got a fresh start and still has enough time to make an impression especially on the Brady logic if um, Stafford's got another 10 years to go by that logic so we'll, we'll see how it goes, uh, very early days but this week's all about bit overreactions Cian. Like the West, the Every NFC. Every week's about
1: overreactions.
0: Totally. But the NFC West, like, as I mentioned, we're going to be delving into this, is probably the best division in football. But the Cardinals, your most impressive team from, from this division the past weekend?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, Kyler Murray is an incredible football player, and incredible talent. And my big takeaway last year was he was being hamstrung by Cliff Kingsby in the play calling. It was all curl routes, all short routes. It's something we've already talked about before. So when I saw the results, because I wasn't watching the game at live, I wanted to go back and check. <laughs> What was the reason for this? Did they change up their play calling dramatically? Is that what opened everything up? Yes and no. They did a little bit more. They were a little bit more expansive. But it was mostly just Kyler Murray playing at an unbelievable level. His touchdown to Christian Kirk, the the first one, I believe, or maybe, maybe the second one. Either way, it was the one where Kirk was tightly covered by the corner of the pylon. He just puts that ball in the spot where only his receiver can get it. And the coverage is incredible you can't blame the coverage at all and when your quarterback plays at that level it doesn't really matter what the opposition does because ultimately great offense beats great defense and they have all the pieces to be a great offense but uh, on the other side of that then though chandler jones and that defensive line they just obliterated the titans offensive line which is a big concern for the titans because their offensive line is built to run the ball and when they got down early they went away from the run and it was just a mess and like Tannehill will probably take a lot of the blame there but realistically it's about the offensive line and Chandler Jones just living in the backfield that's one thing as well that came from this weekend I don't know who you've got as the head uh, leader in comeback player of the year I know we mentioned it earlier but like how good was Chandler Jones and him he was so good that everyone forgot JJ Watt plays for the Cardinals now
0: no, they look like a very complete team. We, we touched on it last week that they were they were a coming team, but they have arrived. So if, if it wasn't such a competitive division, you'd say they're a shoe-in for the playoffs. But even at that, I think there's going to be a big mix-up from this from this division. I think they're going to make some noise in the postseason one way or another. Seahawks and 49ers off to winning starts as well. Um, pick number three in the pick six, Saints and Sinners, and the aforementioned Jameis Winston, who I don't think he would have been pegged as or pegged as someone who's, relied on efficiency uh, through his career, Keen safe to say, but he became just the third quarterback since 1988 to post five plus touchdowns on 14 or fewer completions. So it just shows you whatever was drawn up for him, he was able to execute qu- quite well. Maybe, to your point on Stafford, there's something similar to be said of Winston, where maybe when the heat comes on and he has to go off script a little bit, he's going to make bad decisions. But you saw him actually throw the ball away a couple of times when when there was nothing on. Like if he can kind of keep that in his repertoire where he's not afraid to just uh, burn the down and move on to the next one, which wasn't the case, obviously, in Tampa Bay where he threw those infamously through 30 picks and 30 touchdowns in the same season. So you're guaranteed excitement with him anyway, and they blew the Packers away. I don't know. We'll we'll get to the Packers in a second. But firstly on the Saints, um, they seem to have gotten over Drew Brees just fine.
1: Well, let's go for our overreactions after week one then. Saints winning the Super Bowl?
0: (laughs) Well, like I don't know about their strength beyond... I, I would obviously. Beyond class-
1: Jameis, he's carrying the team. I
0: classify that as an upgrade in the position, but you know, elsewhere they've got their problems, obviously well documented. The, the Michael Thomas, Farrago uh, in the off season and even at the end of the last season, and then obviously, uh, the running backs. Um, Latavius Murray's obviously ended up at the Ravens because he he ter- he wouldn't take the pay cut, and Alvin Kamara obviously got paid last season, but that itself was a little bit of an issue, and obviously goes without saying the what's going on in Louisiana at the moment it's, it's a difficult time for them but it would be a good narrative anyway if they can uh, sort of lift the lift the spirits but what did you make of them anyway was this a, was this a case of the Saints playing really well or the Packers not playing at all
1: well Alvin Kamara loves playing the Packers like Alvin Kamara loves playing most teams but he, for whatever reason he always goes off against the Packers and the Packers are bad generally defensively but they just can't tackle him and it was it was the same thing he just he set the tone he carried the offense and he Put the running game, he, he forced the defense to overreact to the running game, which opened up all those opportunities in the passing game. You heard Drew Brees joke about, oh, maybe that's what the Saints are missing. They have James's deep ball now. They don't have me anymore. And obviously <laughs> Drew a Brees joke. wasn't. <laughs> to be fair. That's a fact. <laughs> Based on recent years, it's probably true because Drew Brees was playing in a box. But in terms of like the team as a whole, the offense, what happens when they play a good team and what happens when they get in a difficult situation, I just don't trust Jameis Winston. I've seen him play too many games and I've seen him make too many mistakes. In this game specifically, the game was over and he had thrown for 93 yards. Like He didn't have to do much. And maybe it's the biggest challenge in the world for Winston that he actually had to do very little because normally he's all action and every play is anything can happen. And just taking that out of his game is a huge achievement for him. But like, it's just so difficult to watch. And, and I know he's had LASIK and you can say, oh, maybe his eyes are, are, were the issue before. But he was squinting in college when he was effective. And I think his issues have always been mechanic more, more than vision. So hopefully, hopefully he's better because if he is this good, the Saints are uh, similar to what we were talking about with the Raiders. The Saints are a team that has a lot of talent. And I know the wide receivers are kind of dropped off a little bit, especially without Michael Thomas there right now. But overall, like, that roster is good enough to compete. And all they need is this version of Jameis every week. Kind of ironically, if they had someone like Alex Smith... like Remember that last year Alex Smith had in the Chiefs where his deep ball was incredible, but he still wasn't doing a whole lot. He was just complimenting everyone else around him as much as he could. If they had someone like that, which is the exact opposite of Jameis, then they'd probably be in a really good position. But if Jameis plays that way then sprinkles in those deep balls, hey, who am I to doubt him if he can do this every week?
0: And just on the flip side then, the Packers, is this a one-off? Like we mentioned acrimony in the Saints side of things, but like... Like the Roger stuff find the off season there where he wasn't turning up for prescribed media outlets and team bonding exercises, etc. so did that shine through there at the weekend or are people reading too much into the what is a very one-sided score and you know Packers didn't bring to the table really?
1: do you remember years uh, years ago they had the the tablets on the sideline and there was the gif or the video of Rogers just looking at the tablet and then throwing it away after he missed an open receiver he didn't see an open receiver. We had loads of shots like that of Rodgers on the sideline this week, but not once was there that kind of passion or energy. It was i don't really care about this, and I don't want to be here generally do you think
0: that's do you think that's the case
1: oh hundred like percent he's he's tried to force his way out in the off season and he doesn't want to be there anymore because he sees the nonsense that they're doing. He sees the guys he's still working with, who he shouldn't be working with. The talent is nowhere on that team like defensively they get beaten up offensively he's got to carry too much, but I'm not really a body language guy, and it just felt watching him like yeah he he's right to feel this way he's right to not be interested in and the problem i think is they don't have anything they can turn to outside of Rodgers. so now that Rodgers isn't playing at that super elite level like in week one he was okay he wasn't great it was probably one of his worst games in the last five years but like that's a really high standard so saying one of his worst games is still probably one of the better games another uh, average quarterback could have but i i it doesn't feel like that team has anywhere to really turn to, to rely on or to change the direction of where they're going. Obviously, they'll win a bunch of games because they'll play teams that aren't as good as the Saints, but it's just, like, are they a playoff team? I'm not sure. The, the blessing for them, I guess, is their division doesn't have anyone winning anything right now. Like, the Vikings are their best challenger, and they just lost, lost to the Bengals. No, Unless I'm, you believe in Dan Campbell. Maybe we're a Dan Campbell fan well, well,
0: well, the Lions, it was quite a comeback there last weekend. I think yeah. garbage time is what uh, American sports folk like to call it, and that was very much the case in that instance, I think. But... Yeah, it's a good bounce back game for the Packers against the Lions. If nothing else, they, I can't see them going 0-2, which obviously would be a bad start. But of course, the last team to lose 28-3 to the Saints, Keen, was Tampa Bay, and they won the Super Bowl. So maybe not all is not lost for the Packers just yet. Um, number four in the pick six, Dak Street Boys. I, I love Dak Prescott because his name lends itself so well to the puns, and this is the second successive Backstreet Boys reference for people uh, paying attention. But Dak's going to call
1: you out in that.
0: Dak Prescott, Ian, um, I know you're a big fan. He never really won me over, I have to say, but I can't, can't knock what he brought to proceedings last weekend. He, he went blow for blow with arguably the greatest quarterback of all time and probably outplayed him, and the Cowboys could have won that game.
1: Wait, you are a Dak Hater? Were you a big Wentz guy?
0: I did prefer Wentz, honestly. I, I think... Um, I think I have to admit defeat on that now, but I did I did prefer Carson Wentz at the time. But uh, Prescott, we, we mentioned character early on. I did think he was a bit of a, a rah rah guy and sort of, you know, inspired inspired the team a little bit. And it was a good yin and yang with himself and Ezekiel Elliott. But Ezekiel Elliott was the star of that team when they were rookies. Like he was, he carried them that season. But in fairness to Dak, the contract issue, uh, nobody wants to be dealing with that. Nor do they want the, the grotesque injury that he had to. Um, through and what you detailed on the show last week the severity of that so as a from a sort of psychological point of view i'm glad for his sake that he got through that game unscathed and he he came flying out of the traps like it wasn't one of those feeling out processes where he was just you know thinking and dunking and, and taking the easy options he really they went there to win and if you looked at the spread before the game i think it was like eight and a half points or something so they were the only ones the cowboys were the only ones sort of a Tyrone GA mindset of everyone's writing this off and they they played like it, so just from a technical point of view, did you did you note anything in particular from Dak's performance?
1: Yeah, by the way, Dak is a Rara guy, he's American, they're all Rara guys. <laughs> That's the way they are. Um yeah, looks I had lower expectations for Dak coming into this game, just because every quarterback who suffers a major injury or who doesn't throw the ball for a long, prolonged period, takes a couple of weeks to get back into it. So I was astonished watching that game. Like, it, not only was he, like, setting his feet perfectly, not only was his throwing motion the exact way it was before, he was standing in against constant pressure, putting his feet down where bodies could fall on them. To Actually, the, the C D Lamb play at the very end of the game, where Lamb catches the ball and turns and runs up the sideline to set up what was, should be the game-winning field goal, there's a defender falling at the exact leg that he was injured, at the exact ankle, like, and he stands in, gets his feet away at the last second, but the ability to stay there, prioritize the quality of the throw and get the ball out. To me, this was an incredible performance and incredibly rare. And Dak Prescott is an elite quarterback. Like Dak Prescott is right on that level with guys like Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes right now, because that's the kind of talent he's shown us over recent years. And the fact that Cowboys now have these offensive weapons. And actually, I quite like the play calling as well, because I know they probably threw the ball too much. But Elliott wasn't really getting anything in the running game. And in past years, they would have forced the ball to Elliott. Now they're putting the ball in Prescott's hands and they're saying, we've got Michael Gallup, we've got C.D. Lamb, we've got Amari Cooper, and we've got our tight end back. Let's go and throw the ball all over the field. And Cooper, Lamb, like, they'll drop balls, but they're, they'll make incredible plays. The only thing with Prescott is you will get an opportunity to intercept a couple of his passes every so often. And he had that. I know the interception he actually had came off of Lamb's hands. That wasn't his fault against the Buccaneers. But he had a couple of others there that could have been dropped similar to justin herbert against washington this is a quarterback going against one of the best defenses in the league a quarterback going against a team that forces your quarterback to play at a very high level just to get an average point total or just to move the ball the only kind of weakness they had on the night was they could go after jamel dean on and they did that they essentially in the first half they just looked on the left side of the field and said jamel dean's covering michael gallup okay we're going to throw the Walter to michael gallup jamel dean's covering amari cooper we're trying to cooper Dean is covering CeeDee Lamb or trying to CeeDee Lamb like, it was a very simple and straightforward game plan and it worked at that stage obviously the Buccaneers made some adjustments afterwards once they make those adjustments it's opened up everywhere else and that's just the value of having so many weapons with such an intelligent quarterback because that's another thing about Dak he won't force the ball to a single receiver he's always going to go to the right option he's always going to adjust based on what the defense does and what the defense doesn't want him to do which is the mark of a great quarterback
0: yeah and NFC at least we, we got much play out of that last year Keen, where it was pretty uh, slow bicycle race in terms of who was actually going to win that division. Have you seen anything from the other teams? Obviously, Giants-Washington this evening, not exactly the, the Thursday night fair we had last week, but a reasonably competitive looking game on paper. And then the Eagles had a, a pretty comprehensive win. So, like, Is, is Cowboys clear-cut favourites for this division or what have you seen from the others in the play here?
1: Oh, I think they have to be, don't they? Because, like, just because it's an offensive league, if it was 15 years ago and Washington had that defense, you'd be like, yeah, that's going to be, like, the Steelers won a couple of Super Bowls, basically being what Washington are now. But that's not the way the league works anymore. So, all right, so I'll ask you, who who do you think is going to be the best challenger there? Jalen Hurts or Daniel Jones? Because that's what it comes down to, essentially, because these teams are basically plateaued. They're all similar because they all have specific weaknesses and all specific strengths. But Jalen Hurts or Daniel Jones?
0: Yeah, I had this sort of residual thing in my head where I'd, I'd written off the Eagles for the season. It felt in my, the back of my mind just that the end of their season was so underwhelming and, you know, Hurts I, hurts I quite like, but, you know, the, the whole Wentz divorce and all that went with that, the new coach didn't exactly fill people with um, enthusiasm when he arrived in. But all the good signings coming from Philadelphia, I think their fans and the team seem to be quite happy with how things are going. The Giants, like, I thought they would have made some strides, and if you actually look at what they've Put together on the offensive side of the ball, Daniel Jones. When everyone's healthy, will have a chance to to prove his worth. And I probably would edge towards the Giants at the moment. Washington, I would have had as sort of co-favorites with the Cowboys before this, but then uh, I don't know to, to what extent Fitzpatrick is a is a big loss. But they've obviously had to tear up their their playbook, knowing that he's not going to be playing for or playing indefinitely as as it looks. So Tyler Heineke's back in there. So I don't know. It's a tough one, isn't it? Like I think. I probably would just lean towards the Giants. What about you?
1: I I have no idea. (laughs) Essentially, I just want to pick Washington at this stage because I get to watch uh, Terry McLaurin. And if you're watching week one, we said it on the show last week, Terry McLaurin is spectacular every week. And DeAndre Hopkins made an incredible catch that everyone saw for his touchdown. Terry McLaurin made one that was just as good down the left sideline where he had to adjust and turn to the ball in the air. So if you want to watch... Actually, that's kind of the irony of this. Washington don't have a quarterback. But with Antonio Gibson at running back, Terry McLaurin at wide receiver and Logan Thomas, a converted quarterback at tight end, they have quite a really interesting offense and a really Mm -hmm. fun offense. So I've completely avoided your question and talked about Washington for five minutes.
0: Yeah, well, like, as you said, in, you know, I don't know, in NFLs of yore, there was a chance you could make a case for Washington going far in the NFL. But as you said, it's skewed so offensively. You need good quarterback play and they just don't have that. And it's difficult. Defense will win them games, but... Whether the adage of defence winning championships remains true, I, I remain to be convinced, to be honest. Uh, number five in the pick six then, and we're talking about quarterback play, Trevor Lawrence, who came in with much fanfare last week, Cian, um and he wasn't the only rookie quarterback who made waves in the off-season. Difficult, uh, welcome to the NFL sort of weekend for them. What did you make of it? Did anyone catch your eye in a positive or negative sense, even?
1: Trevor Lawrence looked like he didn't belong in the NFL, Which and, and to be fair to him, he's not the first rookie quarterback who's come in and looked absolutely atrocious in his first game and go on to be a good player. Deshaun Watson comes to mind immediately. He looked like he didn't belong in the NFL at all in his debut against the Bengals, I believe it was. Um, but the, the problem for Lawrence is there's not anything there for him to build off of on, from the pocket. He doesn't really go through progressions. He doesn't really move to react to pressure. And that doesn't give the offense a foundation. So the only success they really had was like quick plays for Lavisca Chenault outside or some running plays or just some big highlight plays that he would have got in the, in the midst of the game. Like he, the, Washington, or the Jaguars coaching staff didn't help him by getting him outside of the pocket, by using more uh, different designs of plays. They kind of fed him to the wolves and said, drop back find your receivers and and go through your progressions. And he just wasn't able to do that. He wasn't really doing that at Clemson. And one of the major concerns for me, and this is kind of why he reminds me of EJ Manuel a little bit, which is going to put massive red sirens to people because EJ Manuel was a major bust and Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent. I'm not saying they're the same players, but there are very similar traits there where he throws the ball at 100 miles per hour or 100% of his power on every single throw. And what that means is if the ball isn't perfectly placed, the receivers can't adjust to it and bring it in. So a lot of these drops that were blamed on the Jaguars receivers at the weekend weren't really drops. Like there's one to Chenault, uh, a three yard out and it's in from the slot and it goes in between two bodies. And the ball goes just outside the fingertips of the receiver, so it's coming here. And if the ball is thrown at like 80%, the receiver will just go and catch it and bring it in, and it'll be a catch. But when it's thrown at 100%, it's coming in like that, and it's going straight past his fingers. So if he's not going to be able to pull, or if he's not going to be able to take that edge off of all of his throws and use a little bit of touch and have a little bit more nuance into his play, it's going to be a really, really long season for the Jaguars. I know Urban Meyer is being asked about does he want the college job in USC. That's not going to happen. But it does not look good for them from the start, especially because defensively the Texans with like a pretty bad team just use the same handful of plays over and over and over again to beat the Jaguars defense. Jaguars defense is incredibly talented, but they were just completely outcoached. It wouldn't surprise me if there's a big change at some point over the coming weeks and they change up how they're running their defense so they can actually be a more effective unit because they should be pretty good.
0: Urban Meyer, you mentioned there, one of our pick six segments last season was Urban Myth when he got this job, Keane, which is obviously, I I ascribed him that name because I wasn't quite sure about the appointment and as you mentioned USC, I wouldn't discount that just out of hand because we all remember Nick Saban I think was when he was at Dolphins, said I'm not going to Alabama and then two weeks later he was in Alabama so like I think some of these lads can be tempted back to the college pastures, you know it's probably an easier gig and one he's more au fait with so I don't know if the likes of Urban Meyer or Trevor Lawrence enjoy losing and the Jaguars better get ready to lose a lot this season, judging by last game. Can weekend. we
1: also, by the way, point out how ridiculous it is that they kept talking about how Trevor Lawrence is unbeaten and they were going back to when he was twelve years old playing in like high school games? What are you doing? America like stop.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's fascinating though, like you know, as you said, generational talent and to hit on hard times straight away, you know it's going to take some adjusting, this isn't, he's not arriving in a good situation here and it could be a couple of years before we see the best of him, if we see the best of him at all. And number six in the pick, six, Cian, uh, last but not least, we should end on a positive and Joe Burrow, who another one who sort of had a bit of a grotesque injury last season but has come back fit and firing and he, I don't think the Bengals will be stealing the limelight in the AFC North necessarily this season but we should give him his shine after what was an impressive comeback there.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure of where I am with Joe Burrow. I don't know if do you have any kind of strong opinion on him, but he he seems to have been okay in his rookie year. He was solid. He did some things well, and then he did some things he couldn't do at all. And then he had that devastating injury against Washington, which is like one of the uglier injuries you're going to see. That knee essentially exploded. So week one, similar to Dak, I was kind of thinking, all right, just get through the game. You don't have to play that well. Just get through healthy and show that you can build some confidence in your leg. But no, he was pretty good. and. It was really important that him and Jamar Chase got on the same page early. And Jamar Chase, like their former teammates at LSU, they were incredible together in college. And Chase was the superstar there. And when he struggled during preseason, a lot of people were kind of skeptical and doubting him. But as soon as it came to the regular season, he was catching everything. He was open all the time. He made big plays. And the really interesting uh, play from the game was his 50-yard touchdown because last year, Burrow was the worst deep passer in the league by a long distance. He just couldn't hit anyone. He had receivers wide open. He still couldn't find them. But he had a perfect ball to chase, and it was. Uh, chase had beaten the defensive back by a step or two, and he was able to just drift the ball over his outside shoulder so he could catch it in stride and continue to the end zone. So there's some real promise there. Joe Mixon looked great. The offensive line was good enough against a, a difficult uh, front in the Vikings. And then you've got T. Higgins there as well as Tyler Boyd. So the Bengals might be a little bit more interesting than we think. I know it's a tough division, but with the Ravens injured, with the Browns kind of getting the moral victory that doesn't really count for anything. And with the uh, Steelers looking like a little bit lost with Ben Roethlisberger being completely washed up and them just kind of wrestling a victory away from the Bills. I don't know, maybe uh, maybe the Bengals can do more than we kind of expect them to do.
0: And mm. we'll get into the AFC North probably in future weeks, but the Steelers, you know, went into Buffalo there. And in fairness, as we touched on, you flagged this, that the Bills might not be all that this season. And that could turn out to be the Steelers playing pretty well. and nullifying Josh Allen more than them on the slide, but you know, it'll all be born out this season. I mentioned my deflation at the the Ravens defeat, but you know, it's, it's not all bad. I know Crazy Jay's been in touch on YouTube, says he's a Mayo and Bears fan. FML. That's a, that's a difficult one. That's a difficult blend. And then Is Fiona, he an Arsenal fan too? Fiona Carwin, a Carlo and a Browns fan, at least I know you know a generation of, of tough times supporting Cleveland, but at least they, they look pretty good and I think everyone's on board with the Cleveland project. So David H. was asking, Keane, maybe. I know we touched on the Packers, but he was just wondering, has their offense been figured out at this point?
1: I mean, it's just not talented. Like, Alan Lazard is still or relying on. The offensive line isn't as good as what it was before. Matt LaFleur is a very rigid uh, coach, which means he's going to only use. A handful of concepts a handful of designs kind of a thing so you're really relying on the execution so yeah it's pretty much been figured out but defensively they're a mess as well so this is the problem with trying to sell them as the winner of that division but then you have to talk about Matt Nagy and the Bears hey look you can always by the way if that Ravens loss we can just call that the 17th game and now you can just go back to your 16 game season you know that's yeah. the extra games for us here it's
0: looking pretty rough but like you know when you see all those injuries maybe we should just stop practicing and just say uh, you know
1: I think your strategy here is we're just not going to talk about the Ravens and we're going to hope they get so bad that we don't talk about them at all for the rest of the year.
0: Here yeah, we we're due a good draft pick, so maybe that's what maybe that'll be the the, the lining at the end of all this, Keane. And just our last little section here, we have a co branded Beanie to give away and the way we're gonna do that is we're gonna have Keane's picks for the weekend. So I've asked you to pick three games, Keane, and your three games are Dallas Cowboys at LA Chargers, Titans at Seahawks. Bills at Dolphins so just quickly you've picked those out as your three most intriguing games why is that?
1: Uh, Well the Bills and the Dolphins is important because obviously the Bills lost and the Dolphins scraped to a win but like they were light on a fumble at the end and they did not look good. So this could be a really important weekend for both of those teams because if the Dolphins manage to win this game, the Bills are suddenly in a hole and suddenly chasing in a division with a team like the Dolphins that can continue to win because the Jets don't look like they're going to be anything massive. The Patriots look like they could uh, steal a victory or two off the Bills, and can, but they've already given one up to the Dolphins. So that would give the Dolphins a big head up and it would put a little bit of pressure on a Bills team and a Bills quarterback in particular who had so much hype entering the season. Surpass that, I do think it'll actually just be a really good game because there's two defenses there that will keep the offenses tight and will really uh, keep, it, keep the game tight and force them into difficult plays. Uh, the Seahawks and Titans is massive just because we need to find out what this Titans team is going to be. Like, they got off to the worst start last week. They gave up an early touchdown and then Tannehill got strip sacked straight away. Uh, it was a little bit of a freak play because it was a bootleg and Chandler Jones just stayed home on it and kind of backed themselves to, to get the right guess there. So we have to figure that out. The Seahawks started really well and kind of been in the background because no one really paid much attention to them last week, and they look really good. So who comes out on top of that matchup will be very interesting. I I would assume the Seahawks will, but the Titans need a performance at the very least just to get their season back on track because they have expectations now. They're not just a, a random team. And Mike Rabel is out there giving out about Julio Jones, giving away a penalty, but his defense for the third year in a row now looks absolutely atrocious. So they need to start playing well. And then the Cowboys Chargers, it's just because we've got prescott against herbert and that's two incredibly exciting uh, quarterbacks despite how much you hate that
0: right so here we go you're gonna the chargers are 3.5 point favorites over the cowboys who are you picking in that one chargers the titans seahawks are 4.5 favorites against the titans who do you have there
1: honestly that could be that could be nine and i'd still take the seahawks
0: and Bills at Dolphins, and this is, the one, this is our competition game, so Bills at Dolphins, keen. a lot of people are going to be riding on your pick, either agreeing with you or going ardly against you, so the Bills are 3.5 favourites there.
1: Where's that game again? Sorry, Bills at Dolphins? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with the Dolphins. Not a, confidently. Yeah, no, it's I'm not di- helping anyone here.
0: It's a difficult game to pick, that's why we're using it. So to get to basically to enter this competition, just uh, reply wherever you're watching the stream with the, your chosen winner in that game. So it's Bills at Dolphins. Bills have three point five points, so those of you familiar with this spread will know how that works. Similarly, if you just go to add off the ball on any of our social media channels and use the hashtag OTB Snap, we'll dig it out and we'll announce the winner. On next week's show for now that's all from us thanks to Kane and to JP and Catherine who put the show together out in the box we'll chat to you next week